wait, don't go. I'll uh, hold out my hand and reach toward you as the guards pull me away. I love you. And that's where we'll end the session for day. Good game, everybody. Wow. I'm still um, kind of blushing. That was a really intense moment. Wait, shoot. Am I actually in love with you now? That's specifically the thing we're trying to avoid, which is why today we're talking to intimacy choreographer Ashley Love to help us separate the player and the character at your TTRPG table. Hey! I'm your host, Sarah, and... I'm your other host, Morgan. We are two sisters... By marriage. ...who love to talk about stories... From writing fiction and creating elaborate plot lines in D&D. To building intimacy and telling the story while keeping our hearts safe. We're, we're out of initiative. initiative. Today, we're filling the D&D group chat with heart emojis because we're talking about intimacy and separating the player from the character with intimacy choreographer Ashley Love. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm psyched to talk about this very important topic. We're also very, very excited. Can you start by telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do for those that are not familiar with the intimacy choreographer? Yeah, so I'm an intimacy choreographer, and that's kind of an umbrella term for what we do in the performing arts, whether it's for film or for live performance, like in theater. So when you're watching a movie or anything on TV, that's going to be an intimacy coordinator. And then anything for live performance is going to be an intimacy director. Um, I'm an acting professor and a director. I live in Texas. I teach at the collegiate level. Um, and I started working in intimacy around 2017. I went to my first workshop and it was the first time someone was like, choreograph the kiss. You can do that? I, it, it was mind blowing. They don't and just do it. They, the actors, they don't. Do it. Yeah, no, because that's, that is how it's traditionally done in theater. It, here's this moment. Okay. On a scale of one to 10, it's a make out make it look real um, or make it look more intense, look like you like them, look like you love them. It's so vague and there's so many issues. Um, and with the rise of the Me Too movement, then we finally started to have a larger call to action for intimacy professionals in the performing arts. But people have been doing this work for decades. It just hasn't been like a codified process with an official separately billed role. Um, and so I've been doing that. I work primarily with students and in the Houston theater professional scene. Film-wise, I do mostly like students and indie projects. Um, my bread and butter, how cliche is that? Um, my wheelhouse is theater, truly. Um, but one of my specialties is in creating a consent-based culture. Some intimacy choreographers, their skills are more in the choreography. Um, then you have some people that are skilled in taking care of the wellness of the group. So I'm certified in mental health first aid for adults. I'm also pursuing my certification for artistic mental health coordinator for sets and productions. And I teach wellness for the artist with my students. So for me, coming into a space, it's really kind of changing the culture culture from start to finish. We have a foundation where it's, we're all creative geniuses and we all have our own moods and we can treat each other however we want. And for actors, traditionally, 
you're supposed to say yes, no matter what. You're supposed to do whatever anybody says. And if anybody asks, you know, are you willing to jump off this three foot building and land on someone else's face with your mouth? You're supposed to say yes or you're replaceable. Um, and so that obviously created a really toxic environment that was ripe for lawsuits and ripe for abuse. So today there are a, there is a huge faction of intimacy choreographers that are aimed to help shift that culture a little bit. I think we're seeing a lot of um, your role and kind of every facet of it really uh, rising to sort of the convert like mainstream conversation at this point, even to the point where I think just in this last year, we saw an SNL sketch about an intimacy coordinator or an intimacy choreographer who had been like out for the day and it was on the set of Bridgerton and they had like the two guys from props are going to run this intimate scene. And we saw, you know, behind the scenes of these actors getting really uncomfortable. Right. Of course it's all staged uh, in that instance, but it was a really nice sort of glimpse behind the curtain of like, this is something that as, the viewer we see we get caught up in the emotion and we see this beautiful scene and we kind of forget that those are real people with real lives that um need to be able to detach from this and be comfortable going into it uh and when you have shows like i think bridgerton's a great example where there is a lot of you know really intimate moments Mm -hmm. uh it's important that those people are comfortable and it makes me feel better as a viewer knowing that like these actors were comfortable as they went into the scene Well, for sure. When you're watching something that's got gore or, um, you know, fake blood, you know that suspension of disbelief can kind of be kept in check a little bit. And you know, okay, those are props. That's just makeup. When you're watching violence, you know that there's a fight director involved. You know that they're intentionally missing each other's faces when they throw a punch. So why aren't we doing that with intimate moments? And intimacy is any moment of heightened tension or emotion that can or cannot involve touch. So birth is intimate. Death is intimate. A relationship between a mother and a child, that's intimate. Um, And we just didn't have anything really in place for that. And a lot of actor training is based off of whatever the popular psychology is kind of at the time. So theater training um, and actor training for film has been revolving around some really outdated and harmful uh, psychotherapy techniques, right? And we can see how that's caused tons of problems. Now, Um, we've got the neuroscience available to us. So we know what's happening in that relationship between your physiology and your psychology, um, particularly in performance environments. And we've got to push for being trauma informed in our work, you know, screaming at an actor until they cry. Um, Sure, it'll get you the moment you're looking for visually, but what have we done to that actor for the next five years? Um, And something that I I know we'll talk about at some point today, um, but it's really important to understand that our bodies and our brains scientifically just cannot tell the difference between your imagination and real life. So if you've got a really stable nervous system and if your mental wellness is in check and you're more or less healthy and you have socioeconomic factors that support all of these things, then when you're playing pretend, you know a little bit easier and a little bit faster, oh, this this isn't real. But for the majority of us, um, especially artists, especially stressed out individuals, especially students, um, that's not a luxury we have. And so whatever we find, whether it's in creative play for theater or if it's playing a 
a session with friends for a few hours, your body experiences real emotions. And again, your body and your brain can't tell the difference. And so it holds on to that stuff. So, yeah. So when it comes to like, like you said, you work in theater so much. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you, is the director the one that reaches out to you or the actors? How exactly does that work? I'm, I, you're part of the depends. team. Yeah, okay. no, it depends on the area. It depends on the group. Um, I've got some directors of productions where they've got, okay, I've got a couple of kisses in this. Um, just a couple of months ago, I actually worked on a play. I, I don't, I'm sure y'all are familiar with this, but she kills monsters. Oh, okay. No, I oh don't, my yeah. gosh. It's a D it's a play about D and D. Okay. Okay. Writing it down. Oh my gosh. It's phenomenal. Um, and during COVID, uh, the playwright did rewrote it. So there was a digital version and that there's a high school version. So some of the more intense subject matter in the adult version, um, is altered. So it's just more age appropriate. Um, but that director is just like, hey, I've got some kisses and apparently intimacy is a thing now. Can you help? Um, I've got a lot of schools that are really proactive now, um, recognizing the role that consent plays in the classroom and touch. Um, and I live in Texas and we have this thing called one act play. So it's it's competitive, just like football. Um, and it's ranked in the UIL system with football. Um, it's, it's its own special world, but you've got students that are trying to compete. And so at the state level, you see a lot of really traumatic plays, um, that get cut down to 40 minutes. So you're watching five productions of A Streetcar Named Desire and SA over (laughs) and over with high schoolers. Like what? Um, There are some theaters that have a policy now where they have to bring in an intimacy choreographer for everything that has intimacy and whatever that gets defined as by the theater company. Um, For my program, I'm the resident intimacy director. So all of our guest artists that come in and any of our in-staff artists that work on shows, they know that I'm going to be a part of that process. Um, And it depends on what I'm allowed to do and what I get to do on a lot of different factors. Um, There are a lot of people that don't like the idea of working with intimacy directors. Um, Oh yeah, they don't like it. Uh, (laughs) They're not used to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of them haven't heard of it. Uh, A lot of times when you've got directors that are used to having total control this can be a bit of a culture shift, um, especially like when you're working with students, there are things that we have in place like deloading the language. So please don't ask a student to say, oh, you really want her right now and you're gonna really chase after her and make, like none of that's, yeah, both of your faces, you had a visceral (laughs) response to that. Your nervous systems responded just like (laughs) students would. Um, So it just, it depends on the group. What, what I do when I work with students or with younger artists or newer companies, I take all the time that they will allow me. And we talk about consent um, and we navigate consent. We navigate boundaries a lot more in depth. Um, if I'm brought in for a professional show, I may only be given time to work with just the actors um, who are involved in that specific scene. But most productions, um, including film, will reach out ahead of time so you can work with them on casting and making sure that your casting notices give um, enough information that somebody can give fully informed consent just to show up to your audition room if they want to. Oh, sorry. Hiccup. 
Um, did that answer your question? I word yeah. vomited a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were talking. You were talking about you listened to our most recent episode talking about session zero. Yes. And and so and we've discussed several times in previous episodes about having there's consent checklists like at the D&D table. Um, that's a new uh, trend that I'm very happy to see that a lot yeah. of uh, players and DMs alike are incorporating. So in your opinion, on uh, session zero, what if you were like sitting at our table? Um, what were, are some other steps that maybe you could take, um, a DM could take at the beginning of a session to kind of draw the line between character and the player? Yeah, I think the most important thing that everybody, but especially the DM needs to do is acknowledge that talking about it is going to make it less weird. It is going to be awkward at first. Just saying the word consent at a table makes everyone's backs tighten just a little bit. Um, and it's because of how we're conditioned, at least in American society, um, to think about consent. Um, and for people, boundaries often feel like a no, that a boundary is a rejection. Um, this boundary of not wanting to hug you, that's rejection of your physical touch. And boundaries are not about you. They're about the individual. They're meant to keep both of us safe. Um, so one, talk about it. Make the time. Um, saying the word consent a lot will make it more normalized. Um, boundaries. If consent makes anybody uncomfortable, boundaries, because that's what we're doing. Um, for boundaries, boundaries are, you said this quite a bit last week, but your boundaries are allowed to change at any point for any reason. And it's not a big deal just to communicate, hey, um, my, you gave this example, but I have a pet. Um, the, and so let's not talk about anything dealing with animals today. Great. Moving on forward. It's only a thing for the group and it only becomes something uncomfortable to navigate when everybody's scared to talk about it. Um, so big piece of advice for the DM is be willing to talk about it a lot practice at home away from other people or with other folks. So at your day job, like, hey, Kyle, can I just like run this speech with you just real quick? Just the practice of saying it out loud is going to make things more comfortable. Um, as far as gameplay, I loved everything you talked about. Um, and I have not played enough to like be able to give my expertise on the nuances of it. Um, I, my, one of my friends, though, plays a D&D game with vampires. So stop me if y'all have already talked about this, but the idea of lines and veils. Mm. Yeah. yeah we, so talk like, about, we talk about that a lot with Strahd. Chris of Strahd yeah. comes up a lot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I loved that concept of like, this is a hard boundary. This we can allude to. Um, when we work with intimacy, uh, the big thing is making sure that people have self-care cues available. Because you can never anticipate what is going to happen for an individual during gameplay. You can start the game. I'm so good. I'm great. You guys take a five-minute break. Somebody checks their cell phone. They got some really upsetting news or they got an aggravating text message. Now their nervous system is different and they're coming back into the game. So we have to be prepared for boundaries to be able to change. Um, so self-care cue is something that I picked up from theatrical intimacy education. And it's also in the book. This one, I talk about it a lot on my page um, by Chelsea Pace and Laura Reichard. Um, But we have the word button, like pause button. 
So at any moment when somebody feels activated or they can feel themselves getting stressed out, say button. Um, I know that there's a common thing where you can you have the X and you throw that down or you can hold up the X card. Um, that's a vert. That's a self care cue that is already incorporated into D and D culture. But here's these other options, especially um, in improv scenes when people are talking and you may need a voice or your um, you need to use your voice. So button like pause button. Practice using it as a group. Say it out loud. The other one is double clap. So if somebody can't speak or they don't have the ability to be able to write something down, just being able to give a, an audible physical cue that is different from just like a singular clap. Most people will clap multiple times or once. So the double seems to stick out a little bit. Um, making sure is the DM repeating that they have these tools and reminding them what they are. So we don't have to, especially if the group is friends. So y'all seem to have a group that you regularly play with and you've got a shorthand. The boundary discussions can absolutely be shorter. Um, and if you as the group know and you feel comfortable and safe enough to employ your self-care cues, then the boundary discussions don't have to be so long and drawn out. Um, the other thing is if you have anybody in your group that has short-term memory issues or may have ADHD or might be on the autism spectrum, talking for an hour, making a list can probably get a little tricky. Um, so making sure that you're repeating these things, that they're in writing, that you give everybody a chance to practice them. Um, as far as boundaries, my advice to all players is you do not need to feel the need to justify or explain your boundaries. If you don't want there to be um, pillaging or animal violence, you don't have to share why. You don't need to supply a tragic memory that's associated. You don't owe the group that. And anybody that's playing with the group, um, I think it's really important to think about yourselves as bystanders. Um, and these moments are, again, ripe for trauma. And trauma shouldn't be a scary word, right? Like if I give my hand a high five, now my hand has incurred some trauma. So it's, it's not a huge deal, but we need to go into it respecting that space. Um, I think making sure that the session zero happens is really important. Um, I started addressing D&D &D and LARPing and some other live action role playing uh, elements on my TikTok channel. So then D&D &D started popping up more. Um, and I saw a couple of creators um, that made a couple of funny videos that were like, uh, I'm horribly paraphrasing, but it was like my D&D &D group doesn't realize the only reason I'm playing is to be able to flirt with their character. Um, stuff like that, like the whole group might be really cool with that. And that might be really funny for the group. But typically these events and these groups exist to be a safe haven from everybody else's daily life. So coming into a space where you have to tolerate sexual harassment, you have to tolerate um, maybe just an overly sexualized nature. Um, that's something I've struggled with being in theater. I I can tell the bodiest jokes. I I can run my <laughs> mouth like a sailor, nobody's business. Um, and once I started getting into academia, that was something that my references praised to my potential employers that I, I could hang. I could mm. hang and I wasn't I wasn't prudish. 
Um, and that was a skill I developed, but that was not an actual personality trait of mine. And it took me so long to untangle that because for me and for my circle, there's this pressure to assimilate into that culture for a sake of belonging. So think about the culture of your group. What is that culture? What are you sending people home with at the end of your game sessions? Um, some people commented on videos that just broke my heart um, where they'd say, I'm not comfortable with SA being in any of these um, scenarios. And that person getting tormented like, ah, it's just a game. But as we know, scientifically, it's not just a game. And if somebody doesn't want to play and like use that, they shouldn't have to. Um, so DM, getting comfortable having these conversations, talking about boundaries openly. Um, and for you as individuals, this is just like human advice. Start thinking about your boundaries outside of the game. It's going to be so much easier and faster for your group if you're practicing this in your regular or your civilian life, if you will. Um, so the more <laughs> you practice it away from the table, the easier, faster, and more comfortable it's going to be. Something that we say in theater is we can never guarantee safety. I cannot create a safe space. I tell my students that in my acting classes. I cannot guarantee a safe space. I have no idea what's happening with you, for you, and at all times. And I'm not a licensed me mental health professional. I have training and a very specific skill set to help with specific things. Um, so when we set out these guidelines, it's with the understanding that they have to be allowed to change and that we may not always know for ourselves what's going to happen. Um, and it just Especially at the D&D table. I mean, that's the biggest joke of all, isn't it, Morgan? That yeah. it's, it's, you can have it all planned. Your character can be planned. The game will be planned. You know exactly what you're going to do. And because you're working collaboratively with other players and their own agendas and ideas, it's, it's chaos. It, it can be. And if you at session zero or early, early in your campaign, if you have the boundaries like the veil or the line set, then you just, it just kind of eases your mind and the tension as you're playing. You can just really get into the game and you know that it's there, like in the back of your mind, you know, you know, as safe a space as you can make it. And you know, everyone else is having a good time. Um, and that you're not making anyone else uncomfortable. Cause that's another big fear too, is if you're, oh, yeah. if you're you know, if you're rope, yeah. like flirting with another character or NPC or whatever, are you, is everyone else at the table cringing? And so, yeah. yeah. The consent can, of the whole group, the consent of the whole group has to come into play. Um, you said something and I like latched onto it and then I lost it so fast. Um, but I, boundaries are a way of creating a container for boundless creativity. Chelsea Pace has said this quite a bit. So if we're gonna, if we're talking to somebody that only understands sports, let's think about football, right? Um, let's say, okay, you've got two teams and one ball and you've each got to get it to the other side, go. And that's all I say to all of those people on the field. Chaos, we have yeah. rules yeah. in place. So we know what comes next but there's still all the room for magic and improv and for things to go incredibly right and for things to go incredibly wrong um, that exist in improv. But when we have those boundaries in place, we know what the playground is. We know what we can do and how far we can take it. Um, and I love what you said, like, yeah, I don't, I'm the most uncomfortable 
interacting with another human's body when I don't know what they're comfortable with. You can probably touch me all you want, but I'm going to be hesitant in touching you. But if I know, oh, you can touch my shoulder to my wrist on all sides, but please don't touch my armpit. Great. Now I don't have to worry about that. Now my brain capacity can be used to focus on something else. Um, and I, you brought up this really great thing about the group. Um, and again, I kept thinking about that flirting thing. Like if I saw <laughs> someone just, if that's all we're doing, I don't want to play with you. This isn't and, a dating site. And our group has been together for three years, Morgan. Three, three years, years, every Sunday, three years now. You know, we've, just, we've known each other. For a really long time, yeah. Yeah, but we've played for like three years. And I know there are D&D groups out there that just start up. And I can't even imagine just meeting these people and there's flirting. Like I, I would get out of that so fast. Sure. So yeah, yeah. That's, like, does, did the group consent to y'all having a double relationship on our time? Consent of everyone in the space in theater. If you know, we have an actor that is stripping down to a bra on stage. Great. We've made sure they're comfortable. We've made sure the other actors are comfortable. Has anybody talked to the crew that might witness that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, yeah. Again, it comes back to culture. It can't consent cannot exist between just party A and party B. It's not something that you can give and receive. It is a ecosystem that is impacted by everybody and everything that's a part of it and it's something that's fluid and it needs to be again the word navigated um is just important uh so yeah i got all passionate and mad <laughs> no, i love right? it no it's great it's funny you talk about um group consent and the people that we play with we've known them for a really long time uh and we kind of ended up bringing all these people from our lives kind of together and they know us really well uh and one thing the group knows about me is that like i don't really tolerate any conversation about essay it's just not for me i don't yep. want to be part of it i don't want it i don't want it at my table it's not in our games and that is a hard line um so what's cool about a group knowing me that well is we, I had, cut, I'm going to embarrass myself and talk about the laughing lock, Sarah. Um, oh, we, had talked, okay. <laughs> we had talked about magic items and I'm running the game and I'm like, oh, you know, what would be so cute is a padlock that the party has to get into, but you can't pick the lock unless you make it giggle. So we're like, oh, you have to tell it jokes. And once it's laughing, it's little mouth opens up and you can pick the lock. And the party paused and they were like, Morgan, um, I don't think that you understand where this where this is going like we're trying to get the key <laughs> and it's and laughing you have a hard limit on this we're not trying to put you in a situation where something you've created because some, because like, it makes you uncomfortable oh my like, god like a second yes. we figured out what was going on we were like oh this is not i must have gone totally pale during the session i was just like i didn't even put that together i because i didn't have the context and when yeah. other people started to look at it they went oh you've you've made something your sweet little innocent mind has made something that does not feel so innocent when we all start looking at it from a different perspective so i you know plucked it right from the session sure. we yep. moved on as if it didn't exist and then yep. it's been kind of the running joke now is that like oh they're out they're out to help me out like they're out <laughs> to protect me not trying to do another laughing lock morgan like <laughs> you know what's so fabulous is that your group had your back they did. Like, they really they, and they always knew. do. That was that's incredible to me. And that's something that uh I don't hear about for uh newer groups, I guess. Newer groups, certainly. 
That's yeah. great. Yeah. And as soon as we started kind of putting it together, we we immediately backed off. We you just yeah. shut it straight this down. Was wrong. Like, nah, was not, we're not going to do yeah. that. Back nope. it off. Nope. <laughs> well, and so, that's, oh, gosh, like I, so one of my rules with my students at the college is like desexualize the space. We don't do, uh, that's what she said, jokes, nothing. Again, this is hard because we're all ingrained to do that, but we're trying to train them. This is work, right? You don't, you can be separate. You can have separate identities, but gosh, if the most vile things don't come out of my mouth by like accident, when I'm talking to like the lock, but I'll just be like, oh yeah, just like shove it in there. No, mm-hmm. just real good. No, she, she'll, her character will want that. And I'll see the giggling and it's like, oh, that wasn't, I hear what I did. I was not careful with my language. Thanks for the quasi call in. That's so funny. So you talked about like, so I'm just going to circle back to like separating um, what's happening in the game, my character's experience from my own experience, which I think one of the reasons that so many people play D&D is that I get to experience something other than this like absolutely wretched reality that we live in some days, you know? Um <laughs> So we and we do get magic of, and we get to like travel. Yeah, like, it's a got a character who uh, an, another one of our players like reached out to her on the side and he was like, "Hey, my character's kind of falling in love with yours. They had this text exchange. Are you comfortable with this? You know, in game." And then they reach out to me. Are you comfortable running this? Uh, and then sort of like exploring those boundaries. It's such a fun escape. Um, yeah. They're both. These are both married people. And we talked to, to the rest people. of the group too. Yeah. We talked to the rest yeah. of the group and we're like, "We're gonna see where this goes," you know, and. That kind of thing. It's been great. It's been really fun. Because we don't get to explore new romance, especially as like as a monogamous person in a in a marriage. Like yeah. I don't get to do budding new love. Um, so we often though kind of we find that we build a lot of characters that reflect elements of ourselves, right? Like um, I tend to write like really anxious characters who are so worried about impressing people all the time, and people are like, "Oh yeah, a lot of Morgan in this one, eh?" uh and we we actually and recommend love that pink for, and love dressing I, up <laughs> she likes to do she's in the circus and she's very mm-hmm. flexible and she like and just these kind of really <laughs> silly and they really they really kind of draw true and they're like where those abandonment issues come from I'm like oh it's uh unrelated i just you know like oh, oh look at that and we, i don't know where i have no idea what? no uh <laughs> but it's funny because we actually kind of recommend this to new players because yeah. when you're trying to get into role play drawing on an element of yourself so uh thinks that everything blue is funny uh, i think everything blue is funny now make it really exaggerated in your character and now you've got something to role play with you've got a character to start with from our i mean dnd is just improv with some boundaries right it's just improv yeah. it's improv with rules it's just improv yeah. right yeah it's yeah just, it is improv with a uh in a specific world Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a specific world because each world is different each time. But like literally, that's all improv is, and it's a lot of fun. And it, I think many of us do find that we maybe work through some stuff uh, at the table. Ultimately, that is why most actors are actors because they're all working through some stuff. <laughs> oh, they won't I mean, say it, but but it's on you know, I we've heard from other people, other players that they. Um, they discover all sorts of things about themselves at the table because they're with friends and, and you spend like our sessions are three hours at a time every week, but I know some are longer and you do this for weeks on end and months on end. And it's, you just form such a special relationship outside of your regular life. And so you're able to kind of open up parts of your, um, parts of you that no one else sees. And so, I mean, it's, 
it's addictive. It's really, it's really fun um, to just kind of explore and see and yeah. see who you are or what you are and that kind of thing. Well, it's, it's therapeutic in so many ways. Um, and I think in the strongest way, yeah, just again, like with acting, but developing a character and thinking about yourself in different circumstances, um, allowing your imagination to kind of roam. Um, and it's, it's funny, this is what I tell my actors, you know, it's not about you becoming another person. When you get a script, it's not about you transforming into this person that doesn't exist. It's about pulling the parts of you that this person would need to exist in these circumstances. Um, something that was said and used a lot in actor training in the past would be, you know, um, you in the right circumstances to make you do this thing. Um, obviously, that's a rabbit hole where we can see that would get very fragile sure. very quickly. Um, <laughs> but it's, and for actors who maybe are a little bit more somatically inclined where they slip in and out to method tendencies, um, just intuitively, uh, I talk about, you know, you're just letting the character borrow your body, your clothes, your feelings just for a little bit. They're just borrowing them and you're going to get them back. So for those actors, they'll, you know, they use their character shoes as a very specific ritual. I'm stepping into character. Now I'm stepping out of character as I take these things off. Um, for other actors, they're able to slip in and out and it's no big deal. After someone experiences a pretty intense session um, at the table, what are some techniques or tips for them to kind of come back to reality? Yeah, and I love that you also have a little bit of a heads up when those moments are coming. So you as a character, if you know that you're going to be sharing your traumatic backstory or you're going to be exploring traumatic material, I really like the physical check-ins. So again, it's like a physical boundary for the work. Um, one example from a play I just directed, Let the Right One In, the actor playing the mom was incredibly abusive and she was really struggling um, with feeling bad about yelling at her co-star. So anytime right before she walked on stage, we had a chair near her. So she would touch the chair in a very specific way before she started engaging with the other actor. And then at the end of the scene, she would touch that chair in the same way. So that was a mental signal of, hey, I'm going in. It's the same thing for like soccer, like high five, we're switching out players. Um, but it's a physical reminder, a physical marker. We're starting the work. Now we're ending the work. Um, when the work ends, you have some de-rolling options. And think of this just like a cool down, right? Um, just like athletes have to have a warm up and a cool down, actors and everyone playing in a D&D &D session is an actor in that moment, including the dungeon, uh, not the dungeon master. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Dungeon yeah, master. Yeah, right. I know what I'm talking about. You knew it. You got um, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, making sure that we're signaling to our brains and bodies that we are ended. Um, so one way you can do this is an intellectual exercise. This comes from that same book from Chelsea Pace. As the character, I am doing X, Y, Z. As the actor or as the player, I'm doing ABC. So as the character, I am wooing you and I was aggressively flirting with you and maybe we made out. As the actor, I was going through my improv scenario that we worked out ahead of time. Um, if there's physical touching allowed in your groups, um, I was completing blocking that you and I agreed on about physical boundaries to tell the story. 
and that's it. Um, you can do that journaling. You can do it in your head. You can do it out loud with another person if you need that. Um, individual activities, uh, the same thing like taking off your shoes. Maybe your character has a specific costume piece that they wear for gameplay. So when you're putting that on, you're in character. When you take it off, you're out of character. If y'all are taking a break and you're going to go into another room or outside, take that thing off so you're not interacting as you um, with your character's costume on. Um, if things get in particularly intense, at that point, you may need um, some somatic techniques to help calm your nervous system. If it's really, really intense, an ice cube in the hand and holding that, that'll help re-navigate your thought patterns to a different stimulus. Um, and it help shift that focus from the vagus nerve to the front of your brain. This is where logic and decision making happens. So when, and this is another reason why saying no at a table or saying, hey, I'm not comfortable or hey, I asked us not to talk about that. This can get hard when we feel activated. Our bodies start functioning from that survival part of the brain, that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And so we can't voice what our needs are. And that's often how a lot of boundaries get crossed in games um, and in real life relationships. So making sure that if someone is physically activated, if they're upset, they are not going to be thinking with logic. They cannot participate in a conversation. They probably can't even tell you what they need until you calm down. So when someone's upset, always first ask, what do they need? Um, and then emergency situations, ice cube in the hand, a hand on the chest and with a little bit of pressure that can feel like a hug. Um, for groups like yours, if you are physically affectionate with one another regularly, you know, do you need a hug right now? Great. Do you, do you need more pressure? Right. Um, breathing. My favorite is the triple threat breath. This is from the Living Mental Wellness Organization. Um, there's so many versions of this. You've heard or probably done a version of this, but counting while breathing. So breathing in one, two, three, hold it. Exhale one, two, three, four. This activity again, forces the activity in your neural pathways to shift from the vagus nerve back here to the front neofrontal cortex. That way you can start to actually calm down and start to separate. Ah, this is real. I'm not playing the game anymore. If you have any players that have PTSD, CPTSD, when y'all are playing a game, again, there's a difference between being activated and being triggered. Activated is feeling very uncomfortable, but we can live in that. Um, actors typically like that world. D&D &D players probably like that world. I like that feeling of discomfort within the safety of the boundaries that we've put up. But sometimes our brains and our bodies don't let us live in the activated state and something just tips us over to the triggered state. Um, so when we get into those positions, again, it's important to help that individual regulate their nervous system however you can. Um, ask them what they need, breathing, counting, um, separate. If somebody's yelling, I don't like to be yelled at. Oh, I gosh, I don't like it. Um, so I know like finding gaming groups is difficult for me because when people get excited, oh, yeah, you did that. <laughs> That's really thrilling to people. And it's normal for me. I cannot be comfortable uh, for so many different reasons. Um, and it for me at that point, again, this is a boundary. It's not about them. It's about me. So if that whole group 
is a yelling, loud group, they share their volume with their passion in the game, then that group is not for me. So if I've expressed my boundary and it does not work for the group's boundary, that doesn't mean anything's wrong with the group or anybody in the group. It doesn't mean anything is wrong with me. Um, It's just a boundary that doesn't fit. Um, So evaluating how you feel after games and how you feel after interacting with people. Um, Big piece of advice before you go into games, when you're sitting in your car, can you set your watch timer for or your phone timer for a minute and just count and breathe for one minute before you go in and then do it again in the car? Um, This is a really nice way to ground yourself, to help separate you a little bit um, and to help regulate your nervous system. You may be fine. You may think you had a great day, but maybe your boss yelled at you a couple of times or Susie across the hall was a little too passive aggressive at the coffee station that day. Um, Darn Susie, man. Darn Susie or Susie cut you off in traffic (laughs) on the way to the game. Um, they say in theater, you know, or I, this is everywhere, but a theater, especially, you know, check your baggage at the door. That's not possible. But we have to deal with our baggage because we can't bring it in and unload our suitcases on everybody because that's absolutely not fair. Um, but just leaving it at the door is impossible. So finding um, self-care activities before and after games that you can do in just five minutes in your car by yourself is going to make a world of difference on your brain and on your body. Um, It's going to be more pleasurable to go to these games Um, because there are some sessions where, yeah, everybody's winning. Everything's collectively going well, or it's a lighter day, but then you're going to have days like you just explained where it's, it's a trauma dump. Um, And logically you may know, that was a game and this is real life. The body can't tell the difference because of mirror neurons and the muscular system and the patterns that have been ingrained in your parasympathetic nervous system. So just uh, proactively implementing these things, is going to make everybody a lot happier. It's interesting. Your question about separating? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was interesting how you're talking about like, um, putting in your character's shoes and then taking them off or having a part that's like your character that you wear. Like there's a necklace that I wear only when I play one of my characters and I take it off when I'm not playing her. But I, I feel like just the act of getting out my D&D dice, my bag of dice, we, pay, we play digital most of the time, but I still get it and I have it next to me and then I put it away when I'm done and or I'll get out my journal, my notes and my D&D dice. And I, I feel like that's just something... It's like, okay, I'm in D&D mode and then I put it away. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of, you just don't even think about it. It's just, it's subconscious, but it's like, yeah, we naturally build in these little rituals for ourselves. Now it's just a matter of consciously knowing um, the extra benefits. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. psychologically um, for you as a person that helps you enter that shift and it helps you make that transition into this stage of your life or this moment in time. Um, And then when we know science-wise what's actually taking place, then that helps reinforce that information 
and it helps reinforce that, ah, this is okay. And this is what we're doing. So on the days where it is harder or you're not your best self, maybe you've had a really bad week, you had a really bad day and you went to the game, you had a good time, but all of that has compounded and it's affecting you. So because you're doing this when you're healthier and things are a little bit easier to navigate and easier to deal with in your regular life, coping on days where you as a person are just struggling um, or you as your character were struggling, it'll be easier to have these tools readily accessible to you. So I love that. Yeah. You're already creating <laughs> the work. You've already created performance boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have something, Morgan? I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. As we're talking about, uh, you know, setting these boundaries and now we feel really good. We've, we've got our safe space. Obviously, I mean, Sarah and I have talked about our group feels really good with it. And we hope that like all groups can get to a place where they feel safe setting those boundaries. And, and, you know, even the double clap when activated, I think is brilliant because I know I shut down. I shut down very fast when I'm uncomfortable Yeah, Uh, and being able to just sort of like, uh, that's amazing. But I, I kind of want to flip the other direction because the like sort of fun part, I think of, of your role, I, Sarah and I also write, um, and I love romance in general. I love romance movies, books, everything. It's what I like to write. It's my favorite thing. So how do we talk about, now that we've established these boundaries, how do we use intimacy to sort of move the story forward? So I'm thinking about like what elements we might add to an interaction to demonstrate intimacy between characters that isn't necessarily like this fade to black moment where we push off to the side and then we resume the next morning. What kind of pieces can we bring into the conversation to demonstrate that intimacy? Do you mean like visually, physically, like it's actually happening? Uh, we do a bit of both, but like a lot of times when we're talking about like in a, dig- in a digital space playing Dungeons and Dragons, maybe uh, Ooh, Sarah's yeah, character yeah, and mine might be sisters and we might like, oh, I might pat her back or we do. There's a lot of like sibling sort of uh, handholding when we were going through trying times. We get a lot of that in our in our sessions as well. And, and there are lots of different types of intimacy, obviously, as you kind of aptly mentioned at the very beginning. But like, what are those kind of things that we're drawing in to really make that scene and, and demonstrate how intimate it might be? Yeah, uh, for me, it always comes down to what is the story being told? So what's the most important thing that we're trying to communicate with this moment? Um, Something that is said in the intimacy world is we can tell any story with any boundary. So if I get a script and the dialogue says that they're wrapped in a warm, passionate embrace, it gets hotter. (laughs) <laughs> doesn't mean anything someone what turned up the mean? thermostat yeah. what does it mean basil um, <laughs> but then you also have some oh gosh i get this with playwrights more than i um i personally have had to deal with it in screenwriting um but for theater scripts it'll be so specific there was a script i was reading last week and it was like he lunges across the table and shoves his tongue in his mouth and we can see their tongues touching. Okay, well, it's COVID, so that's not going to work. We're not going to do that. Um, and I have a hard boundary as an actor, director, and as an intimacy director for theater. I don't need an open mouth kiss. That's entirely unnecessary. Um, so thinking about what is the story? What is the story? Um, and then when you're writing or thinking about it, 
in the moment, again, it may be helpful to go over physical boundaries as if you were going to be touching or you were in real life. And then as you're interacting with the screen or in the moment, you're going to feel more comfortable addressing the other person's body. But if you haven't talked about the other person's body and then we're in the moment trying to improv, it's going to feel clunky and not fun. And if it's meant to be sexy or romantic, it will not be sexy or romantic at all. Um, in thinking about uh, simple body parts, um, object and placement. So, you know, I put my hand on the top of your shoulder, something that I talked to my acting students about. I don't know this is, you can see me, but the difference between holding an arm like this versus underneath when someone's grabbing, uh, male actors always want to grab the outside of an arm, no matter what the moment is. And sometimes it's like, I love you so much. Ah, very aggressive. <laughs> Play the back I, side. I need you yeah. to figure out where we're going here. <laughs> yeah. So if someone's interested in exploring intimacy with their storytelling, um, big recommendation, watch more intimacy. Pay attention when you're watching movies and TV. Pay attention to hand placement. Hands are so big to me. Um, if I am talking to an actor and I say, okay, your hand caresses the side of their face, how they interpret that is always so interesting and it gives us freedom. As an intimacy choreographer, if I'm working with actors who are not comfortable with their bodies and they're not comfortable with intimacy, um, this happens a lot with, you know, 18-year-old fresh out of high school, brand new students um, with professional actors, I give them a couple of options. Do you want to just improv with this person's body? Y'all cool with that? And we've got our safe cues that you can step out. So it'll be like, you know, use the palm of your hand on the cheekbone, slide it down to the jawbone on a three count. So one, two, three, four, where when I'm with the professional actor, they may do that organically. And I just write down what they did. Um, so thinking about where would you naturally put something um, anytime that there are two femme characters that are confiding each other, male writers always talk about them braiding each other's hair. <laughs> I find that fascinating because I know we've been at the table and there's been instances where like my care, I'll say, oh, my character goes and touches the back of their head, like, or their hair. And it feels so weird. Like if, like I would have no, but it's just, it's, if someone like, you know what I mean? Like if you don't know them yeah. very well, like you don't, like you don't, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. it's just weird. Like you think, oh, it's no big deal. But it's like, that's very intimate. Like to touch. No, it's very weird. Touching other people's yeah. bodies is weird. Yeah. And touching other people's bodies in a really intimate way. When we know, our brains know, I'm not in the uh, an intimate moment mm -hmm. truly with you. So then our body starts doing something that it's like, <laughs> why are we, what's happening? Um, it's a lot that goes into that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for me, even if you're on zoom, if we know, Hey, our characters are going to be interacting today. I want to try something. Can we go over physical boundaries? So even though you're not actually touching if you imagine that you were, because your brain can't tell the difference, yeah. then when you start engaging with the boxes on the screen, it'll feel a little bit more comfortable because what's happening is we, with COVID, we were very quickly um, inoculated into treating 
these cameras as a hallway to another person. Um, And we trained our bodies to respond and to engage with the screen. That's what Zoom fatigue is. Yeah, yeah. Even though I'm not physically in front Mm -hmm. of you right now, your chest and your torso, I can't speak to your legs, but from here up, you're having to engage like I was in front of you. So if y'all are playing a game, same thing. Your body can't tell the difference because you've asked it to pretend like we're having a conversation and like we're in the same room with each other. And the games, you know, ours go three hours, but I know there's some that go longer. And so that's, that's intense. Yeah. To be in front of a camera the whole time. Improv. (laughs) Yeah. You know, can we meet five minutes early and go over physical boundaries and practice engaging with the box um, beforehand? And if you're in person, obviously doing it before and, normalize humanity breaks people get like so up on each other's business for needing to just go to the bathroom if somebody has to go to the bathroom six times in one hour y'all just let them part of creating a consent culture is treating humans as more important than the task so whether that's a production whether that's a multi-million dollar film project or it's a D session your players are more important than that game. So if somebody needs to go to the bathroom constantly, or if they need to step away every 10 minutes to cry for 30 seconds that day, give them the space. Because if we're not willing to give each other literal breaks, how are we going to feel when we need to say no in that space? If we don't feel comfortable saying, hey, I need this, how are we going to say, hey, you can't do this to me? That's so interesting because I had not really thought about the bathroom breaks as a red flag, but it totally is. Sarah and I played with a DM who uh, would, we were really condensed sessions and would often give a hard time when someone had to use the restroom and came back uh, and was like, well, you missed XYZ. So I just said what your character, like we lose the kind of ownership over the character. We had Mm -hmm. these kind of moments that were really hard. And as a player, it was like, I don't know how to interact with that. And it made me so uncomfortable that when something happened in the session that I didn't feel good about it when I was activated, uh, I didn't feel safe saying anything. And the session petered out and we backed out of the game because we were uncomfortable. Whereas with our kind of group that we enjoy so much, um, that group, it's totally normal for in the middle of the game, no context, no nothing, just mute, get up, walk away. We do it all the time. I got to go to the bathroom. Somebody's ringing the doorbell. You know, the dogs are barking. His dogs are barking. My cat's climbing up a tree. Like it's. I need it's a drink. Normal. I need. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just normal. Yeah. And and yeah. we're just like, oh, here's what you missed while you were gone. Moving on. You know, if there, if you need an update and if you don't, not a big deal, but we get up and walk around all the time because it's like. We're like five ADHD adults. Like we're not, how long do you really want us to sit? It's about personhood and autonomy. And again, this is why intimacy choreographers were brought in because actors um, were not allowed personal autonomy. Um, they weren't allowed to have ownership of their bodies in that space because their bodies belong to the storytellers in the room. Um If people cannot respect that every human body and every human brain is different, then what will happen is a culture of conformity to whoever the strongest personality in the space is. And in every group, there is a myriad of power dynamics at play. And this can get, this is where D&D, I think, can be a little different from theater. With theater, I always have the safety net of being able to say, this is a paycheck. 
Mm-hmm. You can't talk to me this way mm-hmm. because this is my job. Um, and even if it's for fun, it's I have volunteered my very highly specialized skill set and I am donating my time and my skill set for you for this transaction. Um, but when it comes to D&D, it gets a little bit stickier because it's people that you care about and feelings get hurt. And again, this is why talking about boundaries openly um, and initiating conversations about boundary and reminding people like, oh, like if you're going to see it, just practice. Try asking everybody in the room for a hug except for one person. Right. Yeah. Don't actually do that. It's a really mean like, psychological experiment. Um, physical um, touch is my love language. It would break my heart. It would ruin my life. <laughs> So like, exactly. But uh, so something I, a game we play, I got so excited that my mouth started working so much slower than my brain did in that moment. You saw the ADHD the kick in for me. The best moment. Um, the best moment. Um, <laughs> it happens. It's gone forever. <laughs> Hugging people, everyone in the room except one person. Oh, so a game that I play, especially with my high schoolers and junior high students, um, we practice a game called Yes Go. So in theater, we stand in a circle and you point to somebody and you say, uh, Sarah, and Sarah would say, Yes Go, and I go and I take Sarah's spot. That's a traditional version of the game. When we practice consent, we practice saying no. And without fail, there's usually one student who starts crying after they say no for the first time. And they're really hesitant to say no. Because it's so hard. And then you have some people where they're told no and it's like, oh, soul crushing, right? Um, And it's so hard to retrain ourselves as people to think about boundaries, again, not as a no, but simply as a guide. This is a guide for how to interact with me. So we both feel safe. This is a guide for us to be able to love each other and we're both safe. Um, Again, Chelsea Pace, I'm a huge fan. But when you move into a neighborhood, they don't put the fences up because you moved in. The fences were already in the neighborhood when you moved in. So your boundary, people's boundaries are never about you. If they, you know, if everybody gets hugs but you, it's still not about you. There is something about you that has triggered or makes something in someone else feel unsafe that you cannot control and you don't need to control. Um, that's been the hardest thing for me in my work is being able to be comfortable with rejection and rejecting and separating that from what boundaries are because boundaries aren't a rejection. Extra hard when you have ADHD and any type of rejection sensitive uh, rejection sensitivity, like, Oh, you what? I didn't want to be hugged, but now I'm sad that I can't have it. Why? How dare you? <laughs> Especially as, you know, women, femme, femme presenting people, non-binary people or trans men, we were all raised to yeah. like sit quietly get and along, be pretty. Get along, get along, get along. Don't rock don't fight. the boat. No, don't say yeah. no. Hang mm-hmm. with the guys. I think ha- mm-hmm. being someone who can hang, I, I got that Maybe a lot. Guys, yeah, I can hang. Yeah. <laughs> I regret forever that I became one of those people in a lot of workspaces and recently I started a new job a couple years ago and I was like I will not be that person anymore and putting that boundary up oh it was like a breath of fresh air I don't have to like I don't have to endure when I make a joke that I'm comfortable with and someone escalates it and all of a sudden I am super duper uncomfortable and I I want out right away and I and I don't know now where's my escape I started this conversation 
Well, and that's what makes consent culture so tricky. Um, I'm brought into a place and I give these guidelines. And I'm like, oh, well, everybody's cool with it. But everybody's doing exactly what you just described. Yep. Everybody is performing to survive. Everybody is performing to survive. And the most vulnerable in the room are going to be the best at it. And no, they're not going to tell you that they're not comfortable with it because the dynamic has not been set up to allow them to do that. Um, so yeah, for your, again, t trying to tie it back to like humanity. If one of your boundaries is I need to have my phone to look at a lot, let them, let them. If I need to be snacking this entire time, okay, let them. Now, if your boundary is a germ boundary, okay, well, let's make a rule to <laughs> create some hand sanitizer. Yeah. Um, you I think another important there. thing. <laughs> over there over you there. can eat while we play but over there like that's fine right and if somebody has a problem with that they've got to go back to looking at negotiating um how the boundaries can work together sorry my blind dog is like bumping into my chair um <laughs> or you know what do we need to do and i think another you can hear him oh. <laughs> Come here. dogs you can be a part of it. <gasps> yes. Aww. Yes, this is Cubby. Oh. <laughs> um, hi. Uh, hello. Um, community agreements. I think, especially in D&D, &D, it feels like there's so much pressure that gets put just on the DM. Um, and I know everybody has valuable input, but making it clear, like, let's set some time time aside what's a community agreement now we may have boundaries for the game but for me like a community agreement if we get too lost in a scene somebody's got a call break mm -hmm. that's something that we don't think of as a boundary and it's i don't like the word rule um because that can feel really constricting so community guidelines um in one of my classes uh, we set up community guidelines for my classes because every group is different and you'll have a student. Um, it's like, you know, don't be an asshole. That's the boundary. Like that's the community guideline. <laughs> uh, if someone's talking, don't talk over them, please. Um, and these are things that can be agreed on by the group. So if Morgan's like, can, if someone's talking, I don't think anybody else should talk. And Sarah may be like, well, what about the scenario where it's the town hall or that's not really conducive? And you can have a discussion as a group. Yes, it does take a little bit more time to do this on the front end. It does take a little bit more time. But like you both said in your last episode, when you invest the time, the actual game is going to go faster. It's going to feel better. And everybody's going to be healthier. Um, I don't know about safer always because I, I don't like that absolute in this world with performers, but it definitely safer and a little bit more comfortable in the separation at least. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, did you have any other questions, Morgan? No, I'll, I'll, uh, I see okay. what you've got highlighted in the script. So we'll go there. We'll go there next. Yeah. Can, yeah. Timestamp. Yeah. <laughs> So we were so glad you joined us today. Uh, 
Is there any links people can find you? I know you recommended a book. Is there any like websites or where where can people find you? Links. Yeah. You know, publish. Can they what find can plug you for you? I know we found yeah, you on uh, TikTok, we're, of course. We're but. doing this camera, this camera, this camera. Yeah. Tell people what you got going on. You get a card, and you get a card, and you get a card. Um, easiest way is AshleyLove.net. A S H L E Y L O V E dot net. Um, there's links under intimacy choreography talks about intimacy choreography, some stuff about it in education at the bottom of that, there's links to the book, there's links to the different training organizations and to a couple of articles. Um, it's got some information about my teaching, my teaching portfolio, um, some of the stuff I've published about acting and music, uh, the TikTok. Yeah. But go to the website, you'll find everything on there. (laughs) Great. Perfect. Perfect. This has been delightful. Thank you so much. This was so fun. This was great. I learned so much. This was, I, I honestly, we have so many more questions. We may need to I do know. a part two at some point. I know. So, I know. Please. No. <laughs> we'll have to send you here. And we've got TikTok content for you for days. <laughs> I just want to talk about consent and boundaries and acting just 24-7. So I think this is great. And what you're doing is so important for my students. Their D&D groups are... I'm like going to get emotional. Are their only safe haven outside of school? Um, and it's, it's so important that, you know, they come to me and they're like, Oh, this happened in the game. How do we, how do we talk about, how do I talk to this person about navigating that? And I know they're going to be better citizens. Selfishly, they're going to be better colleagues in the future in my industry because the skills that they're building while they're satisfying their soul needs with D&D, it's just incredible. Um, and you're making this work safer and more inclusive. So I really appreciate and just that episode on session one, if anybody's listening and hasn't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it because it's life advice. It's just life advice. Oh my gosh, that feels really good. I'm going to ride that high for a long time. <laughs> do it (laughs) well thanks for joining us here at out of initiative we've been out of initiative but we're going to get back into it so get out there roll some dice tell some stories and we will see you next time thanks for listening to out of initiative a podcast from merely npcs for more from sarah and morgan follow them on tiktok at merely npcs or visit them online at merelynpcs.com